Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, Episode 82. Today, I'm sitting down with Mesh Lakani. Mesh is the host of Talk Money Podcast and the co-founder of Lola Media. Mesh is an incredible storyteller who seamlessly blends his creative brain and his finance-focused mind, which I know so many of my listeners who are creative entrepreneurs can relate to. My conversation with Mesh was incredibly honest and refreshing, and I hope you're encouraged by the way Mesh pursues his passions and gifts, whether that's in the finance world, the music industry, or educating people about money. All right, you ready? Let's do it. I'm Jessica Zimmerman, and this is Zimmerman Podcast. I'm a serial entrepreneur, mom to three, and professional oversharer who has spent a decade building my business and helping others do the same. From wedding floral design to business education, features in Martha Stewart Weddings and Forbes magazine, and even writing and publishing my best-selling memoir, Sleeping with a Stranger, my business has kept growing, evolving, and changing year after year, just like me. Because the best thing about building a strong business is the freedom it gives me to live a full life. And that's what Zimmerman Podcast is all about, sharing real, transparent, in-the-moment reflections about how to live a life, build a business, and lead a family through the good, the hard, and the messy. That's what we're doing each week, right here on Zimmerman Podcast. Welcome to the show. Mesh, welcome to Zimmerman Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. This is going to be fun. Okay, before we really dive in, can you share with our listeners a little bit of your backstory? Because I think you as a creative, an artist, an entrepreneur who is also a finance expert will have so much in common with the Zimmerman audience. Yeah. So I grew up overseas. Uh, i Grew up in Pakistan and I came to the U.S. for college, went to school at UVA um, back about, I can't do the math now, but it was 2002. So don't, I'm not much of a finance expert. Can't minus 2020 to 20. To, oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I dabbled in um, initially wanting to be in technology and doing startups. I ended up starting my career in 2000, late 2007, 2008. Uh, working with a, a family um, family office trading um, public equities during the crash, during the housing crisis, uh, which taught me a ton. And I was there for four and a half years. And then I moved to New York. Um, I really wanted to pursue a career in songwriting and publishing. That was my ultimate passion at that time. And uh, it was really, really hard. And um you know, I stopped. I, I don't want to say I quit, but I had a lot of respect for people who pursue that as a career. It is extremely difficult um, and you have to have a lot of persistence and a lot of courage. And I just didn't have those things to pursue that. Um, went back into technology and startup, which I was really interested in still. And then um, after my parents split up, I, I took over my mom's side, um, her assets, and I started managing them and started investing in a lot of private uh, investments. So ranging from venture capital, early stage equity, private credit, um, private equity, and got a ton of experience there where I met my business partner and launched a, um, a fund that we invest in both equity and debt into technology companies. And we're doing that for the last, I think now, 
going on five years. And then I left that. I'm still an advisor there. Um, I'm, I'm still a founding partner. Uh, and now I'm pursuing back to my creative roots, um, uh, business education through storytelling uh, with a new company um, that I've recently launched. And uh, I'm excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. I just, I love hearing people's stories because it's never linear. I mean, people, you know, we grow up thinking we're going to go to college and we're going to get a job and then we're going to have that job forever, which by the way, to me sounds like the most boring life ever. But I think that we sometimes think that that's life, but man, it isn't. We just, we, there's so many different roads and I love that. I like to think that what we're interested in growing up is a great indication of what we'll do one day professionally. Do you think that was true for you? Like, were you musical as a kid or did you, I don't know, love math? <laughs> um, I really love this question and I appreciate it. Um, I was terrible at math. I was good at arithmetic math, which is all you really need to know for finance mm -hmm. or the level of finance that I do. Essentially, I'm more on the investment side than I would say I'm in finance. Um, I can proudly say that I got a one on my AP calculus exam. So I'm terrible at calculus and I think I got the worst grade in the class. Uh, so I didn't, I wasn't necessarily good at math, but I, I did really like music um, as a kid. I, you know, I think I, I played drums in jazz band. I, I was the, the the vocal quote unquote talent at our talent show of our band, um, and I loved that in high school. And I loved that growing up. Music was something that was really really important to me, um, and I and I think the creative side was important. We'd always do these little videos for class and stuff. Uh, I was always interested in business from the standpoint my my father was. Um, an entrepreneur and had done some pretty incredible things in his career. So I always said, you know, I want to be a businessman. I had no idea what that meant. and I didn't pay attention to anything until I was, you know, late into college. You know, and it's funny, those of us who have the business bug or the, the entrepreneurial brain, like, I don't know about you, but I can't turn that off to a fault. Like it, I can't just be a consumer. You know, I was the other day I was ordering something for one of my kids and I just look at the whole site from a business perspective and I think, oh, they should do this or, oh man, this would work or, oh, they're doing this great. or so, And I'm just like, just order the shirt that she needs, you know, just order it and be done with it. Like, why do you have to, <laughs> you know, look at everything from that angle? But I can't help it. It's just how I'm wired, I guess. I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's always, it's always, it's, it makes you a smarter consumer, at least, um, or a more conscious consumer, I think is the better term, um, when you understand things and how they work. And I think it makes you more appreciative of what you're buying or the people that are selling it to you and understanding what they're doing to get you something that you really love. And that can be everything from like, you know, the food at your favorite restaurant or the drink at your favorite bar to, you know, your fa favorite clothing and the company that makes it. Um, and I think there's, something about understanding about how those businesses work, even at a high level to really respect and understand like what they're doing um, and how hard they work, but also like what you're able to get in terms of what you end up loving as a customer. And I think it's a, it's a lovely relationship. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's interesting because I think that I, and I've used this example before about um, the transition period, this, this pivoting, you know, moment. And I often think that it is 
the most difficult place for someone to be because I think we want to know what's ahead. We want to, we want, I call it the hallway where you're just stuck in the hallway, like the door behind you, you don't want to fully close because the door in front of you isn't fully open. And if that door in front of you doesn't open, you want to make sure you can go back to the door behind you. And so you're just kind of stuck in the hallway. And I think that you really do have to close one door to open the other. And that is really scary for people who, um, you know, either have invested a lot of time, which it sounds like you invested time in your music dreams. You know, the transition of switching from those music dreams to finance, there's something that is, you know, initially scary, um, ultimately, you know, transformative in a, in a really beautiful way. And then you did it again, you know, in starting your own business. Can you talk to me a little bit about those transitional times? Yeah, it's interesting. When I think about music, um, I was interested in being a songwriter. I really wanted to be behind the scenes. And of course, like I liked being, quote unquote, like in the limelight or, uh, I mean, not that there was many people who knew what I was doing, but when you perform in front of people, you do get a bit of a rush from it. And I enjoyed that performance, but I was also really, really interested in the business of music. I read almost every single business book on music that was out there. I studied publishing books. I was really interested in how like royalties worked and like how these contracts worked. And I would read every billboard magazine because I really wanted to make it in the music business, not necessarily just as an artist. And that's why I was really interested in publishing um, because publishing essentially songwriters are, uh, you know, you make a really good song, it could last you forever. Um, and I think it's, it's, you get royalties that pay you for a long, long time. And I was always fascinated by that. And so, um, you know, it transitioned me a few times where whatever I'm really interested in on a creative side, I become really interested on the business side. Um, and I don't know why that is. I think I'm just very, I, I like how things work um, and I want to be like a player in it, you know, besides just a, a potential pawn. Um, and that was the same thing with me when it comes now uh, transitioning and in back into creative with podcasting and content creation, the business side of it really, really interests me. Um, both in terms of like, I think you should be, there's creative talent. And then I think there's business talent. You might have both. You might have one of them, but you need at least the team together for a long-term career. I think you need to have access to both. Yeah, definitely. Okay, can we can we talk about the music business for just a second? Because it also fascinates me. People probably don't know this about me, but it it really fascinates me. And so much so, so I I recently wrote a book and published a book and I was in Nashville to earlier this year um to record the the audiobook and I have a friend who is a professional singer, songwriter um who lives in Nashville. I stopped by to see him and his wife and they were asking me about the book and I was asking them about, you know, um their album, because I, you know, I just looked at it from a point of view. I look at everything, like I said, from a business perspective. And so I was just going, okay, it cost me. And this is something that, you know, in the South is looked upon, you know, looked down on all the time is you don't talk about money. But I really just think it's interesting because I'm thinking about it from a business perspective. And I said, okay, if studio time cost me this much money, you know, for, uh, to record this audiobook 
you know, what does that look like when you're recording an album? You know, do you, do you, do you make sure all your ducks are in a row and you get it all done and then you just go in and record or are you recording a song at a time? Like, what does that look like? I mean, I just am so fascinated by, by all of that. But my real question for you is as a songwriter, are you always writing songs? I mean, even if you're not literally writing them down, do they just come to you? Um, well, there's a few, one, congratulations on the book. I mean, oh, I think well, you <laughs> had an incredible, you've had an incredible career and I, and I, and, I, and it's, it's super cool to be able to publish something like that and then be able to do the audio version of it. Like that's the time that we're in right now, where there's so many mediums to the same piece of content that you make. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. You know, it's interesting that I really want to touch on the thing that you said that, you know, in the South, you, you know, you don't talk about money. And, and I do believe that money, it's considered a taboo topic where I grew up. It was the same thing because it was more about like, you don't want to like gloat about things at the same time. Like it's so necessary these days to have transparency around that because you could learn so much from each other. If we just shared certain things, we wouldn't have to go and like, you know, all the lessons we'd have to learn to like figure out how much that studio time costs. Absolutely. Um, and and I do think that's something that I would love to see culturally change. It's something that I'm, you know, very uh, excited about doing in a way that's acceptable. Um, in terms of songwriting, at the time I was doing it, I was definitely like writing all the time, like all the time, like uh, every night I would sit there, I would at the, I mean, I, I think cliche would be the right word to use. I would get like a small bottle of bourbon and like mix it with a, a, a Coke or something. And I would sip on it and try to get inspired. It was terrible for your health. Um, but it would, it would, I would pop out these songs and then something just hit. And I just like, I think I associate, uh, writing with like that time in my life. And it's been really hard for me to do again. Like it's really hard for me to sit down and, and get back into it because I just am reminded of like, um, you know, not pursuing it to the utmost uh, capacity when I was in New York. So I, I do believe the ones that succeed are writing all the time. Um, and I think, you know, an obvious example of that would be someone like a like, you know, one of the biggest names in songwriting and music would be like a Taylor Swift. She's writing stuff all the time. I would assume that she's written thousands upon thousands of things and we just haven't heard a lot of it. She's picking the best ones of it. And I think that's with everything. Like you just have to keep practicing and not everything is going to be good, um, but you're going to have some winners in there eventually. But you know what else I think? It's interesting you brought her up because I think that what we are, like what comes so easy to us um, what we are naturally just so good at, I think is often what we are meant to do. But I think most of the time people think they don't even realize that that's a gift. You know what I mean? Cause, cause it just comes easy to them and it could be, you know, as easy as, um, or as, you know, as simple and as mundane as, um, organizing, uh, you know, kids stuff to get ready for school. You know what I mean? Like it could be just as simple as that. And there are people out there who are fantastic at it. And there are people who have the worst mornings ever because they just don't know how to do it. And so the person who can figure out that organization, it, just because it comes so naturally to them and then, you know, solve the problem and get it out there, like it doesn't feel like work, but yet it solved a problem and it's so good. But I guess what I'm trying to say is 
yes, Taylor Swift is so good because it just comes naturally. I mean, I, I watched her documentary and it just looks like effortless. Like I'm, I just think that does not come naturally to me. I, it would take me 19 years to, to write one song and it would be probably the worst song ever. That is not my strength, but it's almost just like we have to lean into what is easy for us. If that makes sense. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree with that. And I, and I think that, you know, there is natural talent there's certain, like her talent, it, it might not have necessarily been actually songwriting, but it's her ability to like tell a story and songwriting is the format. Um, and, and I would say like, if I was to relate to that to any degree, um, I'm not sure that songwriting was my, my medium to do something like that. And because now I'm doing audio, I'm still doing audio and I'm still telling stories. Um, and I'm still trying to connect with an audience. I'm just doing it in a non-musical way. Um, and it's a very, it's a very similar, um, this is a very similar way that I, w- I used to think about it with music. And, and I think that's, what's gotten me excited again, is that it, it reminds me of those times. I'm just not, I'm just doing it in a different way, but the formula is the same. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, same with me. I, I think if you ask me what comes easy to me, it's, it's sharing vulnerably. Like that is just so easy for me to do. I just, I think I'm just a Overshare, <laughs> and so I can do that through this podcast. I can do that through a blog. I can do that through the book. I can do that, you know, however it needs to be done. But it comes really easy, and that's really hard for a lot of people, you know, to share vulnerably about their lives. So um, I'm right with you. I'm right with you. Well, you also create a very comfortable environment very, very quickly. And I mean, literally twenty seconds in, I was like, I felt like I was in a safe space. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I'm glad you think it's a safe space because it's, um, I don't know, it's just fun to talk to people. I love it. You had kind of a baptism through fire learning about finance during the 2008 financial crisis. Um, The wedding industry, which um, is where I kind of started out and came from, has been uniquely hurt by this pandemic in that all the things kind of that weddings require, like large gatherings of people, shared food, kissing, you know, are, are discouraged right now. What can you share with us that can help wedding professionals learn from this pandemic financially? It's interesting. Um, we did a podcast back a few months ago, like in the middle of the pandemic, I, I have a friend, Michelle Rigo, um, who's, a you know, an award-winning um, wedding planner. And it was really interesting to hear, um, you know, her thoughts on this. And I think one of the examples of folks is that, like consumers don't understand, like they're, they're confused that, okay, well, I need my money back. There's a cancellation and they don't understand like the way these businesses work, right. In the sense of you pay these people up front or over a period of time and they use that money to go get you what you need. So like, it's not like they're just sitting on a ton of cash um, when something get cancels or like something like COVID happens and all the money's been spent and there's no way to give your money back. And, and I think it, it's something to, make a lot of these businesses rethink um, how they go about doing these, uh, you know, these transactions. Like, how do you prepare yourself for a situation where, you know, if God forbid the world shuts down, like, do you have enough of a cash cushion? And I would say that the other thing would be like, you have to think about ways that you can, um, like, I don't want to use the word pivot, but just adapt to the situations like we're seeing with restaurants um, in terms of, 
restaurants having outdoor doing meal kits and stuff. And I know caterers are doing that or florists are now doing stuff for the home. Um, and it's just remembering that you have a skill set and your skill set you've chosen for a wedding industry, but it doesn't necessarily have to be for the wedding industry if the wedding industry doesn't exist for a certain period of time. You can still apply your skill set to like other industries and think about the ones that are doing well and how can you use your skills for that. Um, and I think it's just about being really quick to adapt. And, you know, unfortunately, like some people are quicker than others. And then the financial burden of what's happening is it it does have a huge effect. So I think taking these lessons and just adapting your business to prepare for what ifs, and I think that should be for any business, is that once you now have a what if this happens and it's already happened, moving forward, you should always think about that it could happen again. Mm. Oh, yes, that is such good advice. And I think that that's so key in saying like, it, let's not focus on what your business title is. Let's look at your skill set. And what else can you do with that skill set right now? A hundred percent. And I think it's, um, you know, wedding, wedding industry um, professionals as, and you being one of them. I mean, the skill is making a space looking incredible for a certain event, but it's really like all the logistics that come into that. And there's so many logistics just as a consumer, um, you know, I, it's, you can apply that to a lot of different things. Um, and because it is really incredible, like I don't think a lot of I think there's industry professionals that give, you know, a negative rapport of the industry. People who are like, maybe it's maybe it's men who are just complaining too much of how much things cost when they don't really understand the labor and what goes into these things. Like, don't pick the most expensive florist if you don't if you don't understand why it costs so much to fly these freaking flowers in from like God knows wherever they are. And that's like they're putting the labor costs on you. They're not making like a huge margin off you. Right. And I, and I think it's like, unfortunately for the wedding industry, people don't understand how their business works or like what the margins they are getting. And that it's only like a few times a year that they're doing this and they really have to make it count. And if you, you know, cancel your wedding, it's the opportunity cost of them giving up another thing and they still got their bills to feed and their bills to pay and they still have their families to feed. Um, and so again, I think it's like, what those skills can do for another industry. Um, so, you know, I, I really do wish everyone in that industry the best. When you, that's kind of you. I, I just, I laugh when you were talking about um, maybe it's because a, a, a man maybe doesn't know what all goes into it. I will never forget one time I had a, a bride and her mom and I had met with them, you know, three or four times. And um, finally they came to me and they said, okay, we got to get this budget down because my husband is just not, he's not accepting it. And I said, would he be willing to meet with me? And, um, I met with the, with, with the husband and, or the dad of the bride and I explained everything like, this is where it goes. And this is why it costs this much. And he literally looked at the paper, looked at me and he goes, okay, yeah, all makes sense. Let's do it. It's just, yeah, I think there's such a difference between, you know, thinking, oh, you're spending $40,000 on flowers versus, no, 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 no. You're actually spending about 12. Um, but now let's talk about the labor and what it all goes into this and how you're getting married at the Clinton Library and and every single thing has to go through, um, uh, you know, scanner protection. Um, 
And that takes us two hours before we can even get in the building. You know, when, once you explain it, it makes sense. I just will never forget that meeting ever. <laughs> I mean, it, it's that's all it takes, right? It's like just making sure that someone knows that you're not making a buck off them, even right. though that's what they're paying. Like that's the that's what business is, is you're making like a good business. You're making some type of profit, but it's almost like people want to know that they're not getting, you know, screwed over or whatever it may be. Um, and I think it's just like, accepting that there's a budget for everything and finding like, I think this is why wedding planners are so important. Finding a wedding planner, telling the budget and sticking within that and having that person do what they do best, which is, Hey, I know you wanted the six piece band. You can only have like the DJ, um, unfortunately, you know? And I think that's, that's what's, that's what's not going to break your bank account is someone telling you no. I think every single person that ever came into my office, I said, it's like going to the grocery store. And if you, get three carts of groceries and you go to the checkout and you hand them a hundred dollar bill and you say, this is, this is what I'm paying. And this is what I want. They're going to say, uh, give me more money or go put some stuff back. Like that's just, that's the way the world works. And it's the same with weddings. You can't have everything for a certain amount. You've got to make some choices. Sleeping with a Stranger is officially available everywhere books are sold in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Since the book's launch, I've been amazed by how it's been received. From being named a bestseller by USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble, to incredibly personal and touching reviews from my amazing readers, it's been such a wild journey. Here's one of my favorite reviews I got the book in the mail today and finished it before going to bed. It's not that it was an easy read, it's just that I could not put it down. There were so many truth bombs that I could resonate with in my own life, but I will have to skim back through a second time to highlight them since I couldn't stop long enough to do so the first time. I don't remember the last time, if ever, I have wanted to read an entire book in one day, but this one I did. I can't wait to share this story with you. To get your copy, go to jessicazimmerman.com today or wherever books are sold. And to make sure you get all my upcoming book tour updates, join the newsletter list now. Talk to me about Future Investor. What made you become passionate, not just about investing, but educating people about investing? Um, yeah, no, it's a good question. So it's funny. I haven't heard f- the word future investor in a long time. That's what now has transitioned into talk money, um, which is what it's a very similar concept, just a different name. Um, but it started really, uh, I think it was about five years ago. Um, I just really wanted to build like some form of online courses to teach people what I was learning or what I had already known and explain it in very simple terms and, and just bring a bit of that intimidation out of the equation. I didn't study finance or business at school. I was a foreign policy major. Um, I couldn't, I didn't actually have the grades to get into the business school within my undergrad program, um, which was my fault. But at the same time, like it was something that I really felt like I needed, but you don't really need it. Everything's online. You just have to, you just need curation and you need to, you need someone to tell you like, Hey, you know, an MBA or like working on wall street or any of these things, like 
yeah, it's good for whatever you need it for. But just remember, like, you don't need it to understand these things. And it shouldn't be this complicated. And the complexities are really just also part of a marketing for a business. You know, Wall Street keeps things complex because that's part of their business. It's because that's why they're getting paid to do what they do. Or a business school is charging you $200,000 because, like, you need to go through this and get their stamp of approval to get a better job. But if you don't care about those things, you can learn these things and they're pretty simple to understand, but you do need some like you need you do need a foundation. You do you do need to find someone who can like speak it in a way that you know relates to you and find things to give you as an examples or case studies that are relatable to you. Um, and my inspiration was really more like I didn't learn. I I learned in an unorthodox way, and I remember being intimidated, and I remember being insecure about this, and I'm not now. Um, and I want to give that. I want to be able to share that with other people so that they have it because it sucks. It sucks to feel that like, you know, oh maybe I'm not meant to be smart about business, or I don't know my finances, and I need to hire somebody. Like it's really not the case at all. Right. Totally. Oh, I feel you there because I have a, I have a program called know your numbers and it really is me just explaining about the numbers that you need to know and how to really budget for your personal life and for your business. And even the word budget scares people, but it's, it's just like what you said. It's being able to give, um, a case study or an example that, um, that the person you're speaking to just it totally gets and understands. And it's not said in some intimidating manner. I um, I have one student who took it who had, whose husband is a CPA who tried and tried and tried to explain to her for years and years about uh, her business budget. And she took my program and she finally understood it because I spoke her language. You know what I mean? It, and that's what it's about. So I'm sure you are helping so many people by, um, by just... Get, giving them examples that they understand and simplifying it. Cause you're right. It's really not that complicated. No, it doesn't have to be. And that's what, you know, that's what this new, um, what future investors now talk money and all that is, is, um, learning about business finance and investing through storytelling and through, you know, relatable topics. And I have different forms of doing it. Um, and I don't think that, teaching about these things has to be something very like, oh, this is personal finance. You need to understand this. Like, you know, you can learn about the wedding business and apply, learn certain things about like how a business works or like how margins work and, you know, how just between the relationship between the customer and the vendor. And you can apply that to multiple businesses. You, you just have to find something that you relate to. Right. And, and it's, it's something like I did an, an episode, um, with a friend of mine, uh, Ken, and Ken paid his college tuition by flipping sneakers um, in college. And uh, I mean, he paid his NYU tuition flipping sneakers in college. So he was doing a pretty amazing job. But Ken's advantage was he was able to create um, a bot online and he was able to like use that to like scale his operation um and and really what we got into was we learned what arbitrage was simply by understanding that he had an advantage by by having some kind of technical advantage he was able to buy instead of one sneaker by waiting in the store he could buy thousands of sneakers and then flip them really quickly on ebay and like for me 
obviously you need to listen to like maybe 20 minutes of this conversation and suddenly like a word like arbitrage isn't so scary anymore, right? Like it's not, it's not something that only belongs to like private equity uh, funds that do it. It's like, no, actually you can really apply it to like anything. Um, and, and that's kind of the, you know, that'd be a simple way of like how we approach this. Like, can I teach you about, you know, business uh, and investing um, in these multiple formats and with different people on different topics that might become more interesting to you. So is is it, do you have different classes? They are all online courses. Like how do people get involved in learning from you? Yeah. So now, you know, we've, the courses I stopped doing um, in terms of like a video course, it was just a, uh, I found it pretty hard to like, it's hard to get people to take like a two hour course, but I think it's easier for me to do like a 30 minute narrative podcast. And when I say narrative podcast, it's like, uh, instead of like a one-on-one -on -one interview, long form interview, it's more like I'm the narrator and we have like six, like three to six stories that are intertwining on a 30 minute episode. So think very NPR style, um, in, in terms of using the story to engage you. And then from there we have a membership model where, you essentially get access to all our guides. And so the guides are really more of like the, the rethinking of what a course would look like. It's a 10 to 20 page guide on a certain topic and everything's kind of explained to you there and you have a glossary and then you even have the audio excerpts to remind you of what you were learning about. Um, and then eventually I think we'll get into courses. Um, but to me, this was just how can I make it the least frictional way for someone to like scan on their phone or like, you know, walking to the train or commuting? Like, could they listen and learn? And then like when they have time, they read and learn. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. And you can tell, I don't know, I think you can always tell when someone genuinely wants to help versus just wants to make money. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you, you just, you can tell that from you that that's what you want. You really want people to know this and know that it's so much easier than, you know, cause you're right. The marketing of investing is, is has, can seem a little intimidating. So it, it's, I mean, it's interesting because I mean, and, and I appreciate you saying that I, I do very much care about this mission because there is a, you know, we have there, there are people that are wealthy and there are people that are not. And a lot of wealthy people continue to get wealthy. And sometimes it's a lot of it is, you know, having the birth lottery or, you know, you just have a technical or like uh, intellect advantage um, and, or you're surrounded by certain people that are teaching you. And that was a lot in the case for me. Like I was just one, yes, there was the birth lottery, but I was also surrounded by a lot of people that taught me. And I think that should be accessible to everyone. Like, you know, maybe you don't have access to people that like were teaching me. So like, let me provide that for you. Right. And I do believe that the more tools you give to people and like, you know, you're saying like, Hey, this is easily accessible. It's easily consumable. And it's like super potentially cheap, uh, in comparison to anything else out there, i.e. there's the free versions and there's like a less expensive version. Um, either way, we're trying to get this to you so that you have the tools to like potentially do something to build your own personal wealth, right? And have some type of an advantage. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, folks like myself, including yourself, who care about doing this. And I think it's just about, you know, the more of us that are out there, eventually someone's going to find the one that connects with them. And, you know, uh, hopefully they, they learn from them. Oh, I love that you said that. And I love that you, because I, I feel the same way. There is no, um, you know, threat or anything. I'm the same way. The more of us that are out there sharing it, the more it's going to help, you know, because, because 
not everybody is going to be your people. Like you've got, you, we're all going to connect to different people, which is what's great. What's it like working with your wife? Um, it's good. I mean, we work in a, in a, in a pretty, uh, the capacity that we work in is, um, you know, I am doing a lot of the, the business and, 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 and it's, it's my, it's the, I'm doing the interviews. Um, m- my wife is very much giving me advice and like overseeing stuff. And, you know, it's her and the dog on the intro. If you listen to the podcast, um, you'll hear her and, and our dog that are in the intro um, and, you know, doing a lot of the kind of pre-rolls and whatnot. And it's nice. It, it's, it's an, it's a nice relationship and um, you know, it's nice to have that type of support and, um, doing something that's fun together. I mean, obviously within limits, cause you know, you don't want to get on top of each other and whatnot. And so it's really, um, at the same time, it's, 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 it's very comforting and nice to know that you have a vested interest in something together. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, my husband is obviously my partner in life and everything, and I can go to him and, and vent or talk or whatever, but we have learned that, uh, we have to have very, which I think this works. This is this is true for anybody in you know business or or in their personal life. But you have to have very defined roles. Like, what is your role? What is my role? So that we're not stepping on top of each other or competing in any way. For us, we just learned that we just don't need to be in business together. So I'm always. It's just it affected our personal life, you know, because you just for us, we just talked about work all the time. And so I think that that's really incredible when people can can do that, can do both and do it well. So, yeah, I mean, I I think to what you're saying, that's important. Um, You have to set limitations um, and just have some type of structure where it's not becoming your life and you know what one person needs to do and what the other person needs to do. And I think it's finding that balance. Like if we were like, 100% 100% both into this and both doing this. I think it would, I think it would be too much. Um, you don't, you know, I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying. Like that's, I can totally understand how something like that happens. So I think it's, um, you know, how do you do this where both parties are happy and, you know, providing their own to the company or to the, the goal of the mission or whatever it is. Do you see yourself continuing to do this for a while? Or do you think that you're kind of, uh, entrepreneurial spirit will will spin again in another direction. Well, I had actually taken a break from you know the entrepreneurial side. I had you know after doing the music thing, I, I actually had a failed music startup um, because again, like I said, I was really interested in the business side of things, and it was something that I was excited about. And we actually pitched this to like we sat in Sony's office and we sat with Universal Music and Universal Music Publishing and Warner Brothers, and I was like, oh my god, this is going to be great. And then I realized that like whoa, the music business is really, really hard. And like, you know, these margins don't make sense at all. And like, there's a reason why Spotify has been the only player to make it um, and is now transitioning and diversifying into other audio formats. And at the time I decided to shut shut it down because I was like, this is just not going to be a good business. And I said to myself, um, I wouldn't personally invest in this. Um, mm-hmm. like if, if you would, like if I, if someone asked me like, well, Mesh, do you think I should put my money in this? I'm like, I'd be like, no, like this is like a losing investment. Um, and I decided that I would never start something again unless I was absolutely sure. So I ended up starting a, an investment fund with a, with a, a, who's now become a dear friend of mine. Um, 
and I guess that is a business. I mean, it is a business. So we did start a business together and we worked for five years on it and we raised tens of millions of dollars and like we've invested and we've done well for our investors and it opened up huge doors for me and it was like a real, real grind and it still is. Um, but I, I decided that I would never start something unless I was absolutely sure. And about two years ago, um, I was really sure about this. I was like, I want to get back into content creation. We're not back into content creation. I want to get in back into creation. It just so happens that this is content creation. I've always had a passion for education. Um, and because like the future investor was really like a side project. I built two online courses and one became really successful. It was a free course, um, but it also opened up a lot of doors for me. And I was like, okay, I want to do content creation and I want to do it in uh, in in. Um, education, but I want the the topic to be business and investing because now I actually have the experience to tell people like stuff and like go find and curate people that I want to interview and all these things. And so I basically went all in on that, uh, started thinking about it two years ago and then went all into it a year ago, um, back in November of 2019. And so I think I'll be sticking with it for a while. Like this to me is like, this is it for me for now. And, and I think I, what I would love to do is like, I'll, I'll I def- love it. This is it for me for now. <laughs> yeah. This is it for me for now, at least like for the, for the next, I would say five to who knows how many years when I say for now, it's like, I would probably be in, I'd probably do more investing personally yeah. um, versus I wouldn't, I don't think I'd ever start a fund on my own, but I would do investing as an individual, which I still dabble in here and there, but that's something I'm, I've, I will always do. I think what you said was so uh, just right on the money. Are you willing to invest your own money in it? Because when you are willing to invest your own money in it, I think that that is when you know it is it is true, it is right, it is it is the direction to go when you feel that passionate about it. Um, but when you're not, then it's like, why would you spend your energy on it? So I think that that was so smart. I know uh, for me with my book, I mean, I, listen, I invested six figures into getting that thing done, and. Um, there are lots of ideas that I've had that no, there's no way I would invest that. You know, I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. But this one, for whatever reason, I just felt so certain that I was supposed to do this. And um, so I was willing to invest my own money in it. I didn't get investors or backing in any way. Like this was my money. And um we'll see what happens, but I, I just felt really strongly about it. And that's something I remember when I was making the decision, because that was basically, that was what I had. That was it. That was kind of like what I had, uh, you know, kind of put aside. And, and, uh, I remember my husband just saying to me, okay, so it's like, if it all fails and you lost it, would you be still, you know, would you still be glad you did it? And then look at the other way, like if you don't do it, will you for the rest of your life wonder, what if I did that, you know? And for me, that was really the answer. I was like, yeah, I will wonder every day for the rest of my life. Like, what if I had gone through with that? And so that's what made me pull the trigger. I think I have the exact same experience as that, um, where you just think to yourself, uh, I could go do this other thing, but like, do I really leave this on the table? And and I think it's one of those things where like conviction is a really, really important part of 
one, putting your all into something, but you have to be realistic about it. And I do think that experience gives you that. I would say that ex your experience and what you've done and, you know, all the things that you've accomplished and, and the way that you've done it, like in terms of having an audience and all these things, like it probably made a lot of sense. Like, hey, I'm actually really good at this. Like I should, I should double down on this. And I think I'm kind of coming to the same realization myself. Like if someone offered me a job and I did get offered a job, um, you know, even what we have, I still have the fund, but someone was like, Hey, you should work at our fund. And I was like, look, I'm just going to be like a cog in your fund. Like no one's going to like, remember me. Like you guys might not even remember me after a week or I could put all my time into this and like actually like do something. Um, and I decided to do the latter, you know, and I, and I, and I'm, and again, and, and, and I, I agree, like I have the conviction and, and someone said, would you put your own money into it? I'd be like, yeah, I already have. So, um, and I'm hoping that that's the only money that we'll need. If you want to build a great business or live a good life, you've got to plan for it. Every year, I take a whole month to reevaluate the past 12 months and figure out what worked, what didn't, and how I can create a life I love for the following year. I teach you my exact planning process in my program, Know Your Numbers, annual planning for your best year. If you want a free training to get some tips on planning your best year yet, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash numbers. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash numbers. Do you have a piece of investing advice for me or for our audience? In terms of what? Like general investing advice or? Yeah, I think that there's probably people listening. Okay, so for me, so my husband was a financial advisor for uh, over a decade and um, and he took care of us all on his own and then he got really ill and that's when I had to kind of go, mm -hmm. oh gosh, I got to take care of our family for the first time ever um, and figure that out. And, you know, he was always big on, you know, putting money into your 401k. He did that from, you know, the second he got out of college. Um, we read a book called Automatic Millionaire, which is just basically talks about paying yourself first. And which basically for anyone out there listening, it just means that get your paycheck set up to where, you know, 15% of it or whatever percent is going into some other account that you never see, you know, whether it's 401k or savings or something so that because when you see the money in your checking, you spend it. That's just what it is. And then, you know, I am a big believer because my father and my grandfather told me if I ever get the opportunity to invest in land to buy it because they're not making any more of it that just makes sense to me. Like that makes sense to me. So I've invested some money in land because that makes sense to me. You know, my husband's done a little bit in real estate. He's not doing that right now, but it's just interesting. I think sometimes people hear the word investment and they think all that means is some type of, um, you know, annuity or fund or, you know, which again, are those words that you said at the beginning that, might intimidate people. And so I guess investing, investing is really about financial wealth and building wealth building. And so what, or, or, or is it different? Is there a different definition? No, I mean, look, I think, I think you're right. Like the point of investing is to build wealth um, and to grow your, your wealth. And I mean, otherwise what's like, you could get negative returns and like, it'd be okay. Um, and I, and I would say like, I would, 
probably bucket this into a few different places. I would say one, um, it, it's really important to not like follow the herds uh, that are out there, especially now we see, you know, all these, there's a lot of headlines and like, you have to remember like CNBC and these things are like, they're 24 hour news. Like they need headlines and like, don't get the FOMO. Like, don't feel like, Oh, I'm missing out. Like I'm going to download this trading app and start trading because that's how everyone's making money. Um, like don't fall, like, unless you understand what you're doing, Yes. Don't, don't do what someone else is doing unless yes. you want to take the time and understand it. And then you think it's a good idea. Just like what you're saying about land, like understand what you're investing in. Don't feel like, don't feel like you're being rushed. Don't feel like you're going to be missing out. There's always going to be something there to invest in and you're better off understanding it and then putting your money into it and then not really messing with it, to be honest. Right. Right. Um, and then I think it's just thinking like, okay, well, there's stocks and equities, which is I get to like invest in companies that are going to be potentially bigger from what I invested it in. And if you're thinking about buying, like, of course, you can, you know, you can go to index funds and all those things. And there's great platforms for that. But like, if you're like, I really want to buy a stock, like, which one should I buy? Or you're asking your friend, like, which one should I buy? Stop asking people like what, what they're buying. Like, think about a company that you really, really like and you really, really enjoy and you use it every day or use it once a week or you can't live without it and then imagine are like hundreds of thousands or like a million other people also doing this i think so and do you see that changing not really okay well maybe that's a company for you like do you understand the product sure like okay maybe that's a company that you would potentially want to buy dabble in it and see how it feels don't put all your money in at once put you know dip your feet in and 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 get a feel for like it losing money and making money. And I think that's, what's going to help you like understand like how it feels. Um, and then it's like, it, it, it's really, it's really a matter of don't invest more than you can afford to lose. And I think that's simply yes. like, um, you know, don't take these, like if the risk reward is going to be, well, I can make a ton of money here, but you know, and, and, you should be thinking the other way. Like if the reward is really high, assume that the risk is also really high. So therefore like, repurpose the amount of money that you want to put into it. Don't be like, well, I can make a ton of money here. It's kind of like the example of it going to a casino. It's like, well, if I put all my money on this, like I could actually double it, but you're not actually thinking about losing it. And you should also be thinking about the losing it part. So don't put all your money in it, put like 10% of your money in it. And if you make money, great. And, and I think it's like, it's like these simple rules that people just get very, like they get overly excited and not use this word, but like people do get greedy. You know, people like to see their bank accounts grow like immediately. And I think real wealth is created over a long period of time. No matter what you read on the news, no matter what people say, no matter what Instagram ad told you that they took a hundred dollars and made it a hundred thousand dollars and they can teach you that too. It's bullshit. Um, right. They're that trying to sell you something. Life. It's not real life. Like maybe someone got lucky. They can't, you can't get lucky like they did. You might have another luck that will come your way, but always remember like, you know, Warren Buffett didn't make his money into like well into his career. Like it took a mm -hmm. really, really long time. So mm -hmm. be patient, be careful, but also remember like cash sitting in account, like your cash sitting in a savings account, isn't going to do anything. So you know, your, your cash and a savings account really should be like what your immediate needs are. But the only way to grow your money is to invest it. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And I think so many people are scared to do that. I really do. I know my um, my dad has talked about this with my my grandmother, um, who is 94. You know, he he's 
you know, helped her with some of her finances. And she's like, what is this just doing in a savings account? <laughs> He's like, you don't touch this. We need to, you know, invest this. But she, it scares her. She doesn't want to, you know, it's just interesting. Um, but like you said, what your goal to do is to, is to, you know, make this more familiar and to where it's, it's not so intimidating and scary. So I think that's really cool what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited about, I mean, there's going to be all sorts of content that we're going to be making on all these subjects and, and knowing that like for you to even understand a concept, you know, like, Hey, my money's in savings. Like, I don't understand. Like I should be investing it. Like we know that it's going to take, it's not like you're going to listen to one episode and be like, okay, I get it. Like you're going to have a, a, a entire library of stuff that like, I, I'm just kind of imagining like if you had a library of all sorts of business content, investing content, and it was entertaining, you just keep clicking around and, and they all start adding up. Like you need to, it's like you're going back to school, except it's just in a different format. It's um, like learning to cook, to be honest. It's like yes. learning to really cook. It's like you are not going to master, you know, uh, you know, chopping that onion the first time. Maybe one day you learn the onion and then maybe one day you learn about sauteing and then maybe one day you learn like, oh, I can't put the heat on that high with the butter or the butter burns. Like you, it takes a while to learn how to like perfectly you know, saute that onion for the base of your soup or whatever. It, it, it's layered, you know, so you it, you got to keep going with it. And then eventually you just are like, people are eating that soup and they think you're incredible. That's an amazing analogy. It is like- Have it, take to, it. Yeah, to like, for you to under, like the chopping the onion part and then the learning how to saute part are two different components. And then those two components make like every tasty dish that's out yeah. there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that analogy. That's great. <laughs> it's yours. You can take it. Thanks. Okay. So here's my <laughs> final question. Um, it, it, I ask everyone who comes on the podcast this question and, and it's fitting for what we've been talking about. So if you had Oprah's money, okay, billions of dollars, and you had to spend it on yourself, something totally selfish, what would you buy? You know, I went over this question numerous times because I was trying to see like the angle of where I could say something really like prolific or or or, or whatever it could be to, to make myself sound really good. But like I right. love you put it, you put in the disclaimer like it has to be on yourself. Yep, it has and to be for yourself. Look, I I honestly was like, okay, yeah, if I had Oprah type money, I would love to buy a beautiful house in like South Kensington in London. Um, because that's where we used to spend our summers and I have a lot of family in London and my sister lives there and the idea, like these properties are so freaking expensive, but the idea that like, um, and growing up overseas, like London's always been like a trend, like it, it's kind of the middle city where everyone is like where everyone meets, like we're in the U S we have a lot of family in South Asia and in Dubai and stuff and in London and to be able to have a beautiful home in London, London is a beautiful city. I would love that. Um, so that's what I would do with Oprah money. And if you haven't been to London, um, you know, hopefully one of these days you can go visit and like, you know, South Kensington's a beautiful place. It is. It is such a beautiful place. And here's what that answer tells me about you. This is why I asked this question, because I think the answer tells you what is most important about the person. And it sounds like to me, what's most important is connection and relationships, that quality time that you get with the people you love. That is, uh, I would say that's pretty important to me. I, yeah. I, love, I love family and I love my friends. And, you know, if we could have a place where we could all hang out and it was big enough, that'd be ideal. And uh, London's a cool multicultural city. And, um, you know, I hope that they make it through this just like wherever you are out there. Uh, you know, hopefully this all gets better soon. 
Right. Oh, Mesh, this has been so fun talking to you. I have really enjoyed it. Tell everybody where we can find you. Uh, you can find me at thetalkmoney.com. That would be where we do all our cool education content stuff. And that's the podcast, Talk Money. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Mesh Lakani. Perfect. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Jessica, thank you. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Mesh, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I've had just a handful of male guests on Zimmerman Podcast, and I'm so glad Mesh was one of them. Whether it comes to investing in stocks, in property, or even in yourself, I hope this conversation guides you in your next career move, pivot, or goal. If you loved this episode as much as I did, would you go subscribe and review Zimmerman Podcast? Your reviews help me create more free content each week, and they're also really encouraging. Thanks for listening to episode 82. I'll see you right back here next week on Zimmerman Podcast.